0: Today on Agnes Daily. We're very proud of that uh, full digital agency. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have a, a 400,000. Uh... This is March 14th, Tuesday, in addition to
1: the Agnews Daily Podcast. More of the latest headlines to share with you today. Hinner and Delaney ready to bring those right to you. Right, Delaney
2: absolutely tanner and guess what today is there's two momentous occasions for today
1: oh boy what did i forget
2: well today is pie day 3.14 but it's also uh-huh. a <laughs> national potato chip day
1: nice i like both pie and potato chips i don't know if i've ever had them both in the same sitting before
2: no i don't think i have either but here's a fun trivia fact for you are you ready fire away What percent of the U.S. potato crop is used to make potato chips? Is it 10%, 22%, or 38%?
1: I was going to say 22%, and I'm going to get in trouble because I talked a lot of potatoes down at Commodity Classic, ironically.
2: Really? That's good. You got it right. I did not come up with this. I saw it in Magnetic Ag's newsletter this morning, but I thought that was a fun trivia to start us off with today.
1: Where are most of the potatoes grown? Is it truly Idaho?
2: I don't know. It doesn't say that. That would be a good follow up oh. fact for us.
1: Well, if we're concerned about potatoes freezing, we obviously don't want them in the north and we also don't want them in Arkansas through the Carolinas because they are in freeze warning. So that almost sweeps right through where we were Delaney, mm-hmm. you know, not quite dipping as far south as Orlando, but uh, those portions of the United States are not equipped for freeze warnings. Arkansas temperatures may fall overnight to nearly 28 degrees. The southern plains will continue to be dry and uh, elevated fire risk is in place be- from Oklahoma to Texas. Just due to how dry it is the relative humidity being around 20% and gusts of wind greater than 25 miles per hour. So a lot of different weather than what we reported on yesterday.
2: It sounds that way, Tanner.
1: Absolutely. What are we going to have what?
2: spring, though? That's my big question.
1: I know. Like you talked yesterday, a lot of guys are getting their planners ready and starting to get some itches to get out into the field. But here in Iowa, it's going to take a little bit of snow melt before we get to that.
2: It does seem that way, especially looking out the window here this morning. But I've got a couple updates here on the talks going on in Geneva between Russia, Ukraine, and a few other countries. The Kremlin says deals must address barriers to Russian exports. As I reported on yesterday, Russian officials were seeking just an extension by 60 days, while Ukraine is asking for a 120-day renewal. The deal sponsors, which are the United Nations and Turkey, say talks are continuing to be ongoing, Tanner. Uh, but first thing this morning, Russia said on Tuesday that it has agreed out of, quote, goodwill to extend the Black Sea deal that facilities Ukraine that facilitates Ukraine's grain exports. But they said a key part of their agreement was still not being implemented to Moscow's satisfaction. They did agree on a 60 day deal. They opposed very vehemently an 120 day extension. But we don't really understand why. They're kind of being tight-lipped about that, Tanner.
1: Yeah, I had kind of seen those headlines, and I always get the market text in the morning that highlighted a little bit of concern there as well. So uh, we'll we'll see if more comes out of that, certainly. I wanted to keep everybody updated on the bank side of things, just since we talked a lot about it yesterday. Moody's, which is a rating rating entity, downgraded signature bank the second failed bank stocks to junk and placed six other banks on the list those banks are first republic bank zions band corporation western alliance bancorp coamerica inc and umb financial corp along with Intrust financial corporation but we've already seen some of the first moves coming out of the bank's closures the sbb's so uh, silicon valley banks UK division was bought by HSBC for how much do you think, Delaney?
2: Uh well, I feel like they got it on a discount, Tanner. Am I right in thinking that?
1: Absolutely. They bought it for one euro, which is the equivalent oh of a dollar and 20 cents. So that deal was facilitated by the regulators to stave off the risk of thousands of European technology businesses running into trouble. So HSBC is a much stronger bank. And is stepping in now to take care of any bad loans but then also provide that extra level of insurance to depositors for the uk side of things but the first big move that might affect agriculture is signature bank was holding nearly 40 million dollars of u.s steel deposit funds luckily the new york department of financial services stated that the u.s steel company could move their money from Signature Bank to Citibank, but now they must wait until regulators allow funds to move freely. That $40 million is targeted to go to Citibank. Citibank has put up an alarm reminding all investors in U.S. Steel that it takes multiple days to open an account, especially one that is complex like this, so don't expect to see any additional news or headlines around those funds for a couple of days. But that's the first, probably biggest tie to ag that I had seen coming out of the headlines. Delaney is uh, it is affecting one of the U.S. steel companies.
2: That's quite a quite a deal there for that bank too, to buy it for a euro.
1: That's correct. Maybe it's still uh You always, when you think of discounted sales like that, you still might not have really gotten a deal.
2: (laughs) Right. That's true. You're assuming lots of risk, probably with that deal. Yep. Well, we have the February farmer outlook from the Ag Economy Barometer and things were not looking so gloomy on this month's report, Tanner. Exports are the biggest concern for U.S. producers moving forward, according to the barometer. Last month's survey yielded the dimmest outlook on future exports since the survey began in 2019. Three years ago, about 72% of surveyors said that they thought ag exports would increase in the next five years. That optimism has quickly slipped. Now, just 33% think that ag exports are going to continue to increase in the next five years. Producers are also worried about increasing input costs, decreasing output costs and interest rates, Tanner. So all in all, most farmers surveyed said that they have no plans to grow currently. Nearly half of respondents said that or that they were planning to retire or exit within the next five years. And only about 19% anticipate farm growth here over the next couple of years. So all in all, it sounds like a lot of farmers are taking a step back here as we head into maybe a downturn in the commodity market cycle.
1: There are a lot of industries that seem to be taking a step back. Japan's Mm -hmm. top brokerage, Nomara, is now the first public company to project next week the Federal Reserve will actually cut interest rates rather than raise them. They have a significant list of data to back this up. They're stating that the uh, Federal Reserve will halt its quantitative tightening and policymakers will continue to put pressure on them to do so ever since the Silicon Valley collapse. Last month, Nomura's analysts stated that this would be a 50 basis point hike and are now coming out with a 25 basis points cut, according to Reuters and Yahoo Finance. So they're continuing to monitor what's coming out of it, but there is some relief for pressure on the Federal Reserve because the 2023 survey of consumer expectations was released yesterday and showed that inflation expectations decreased sharply for the short term horizon. Median inflation did drop by eight-tenths of a percentage point and is now uh, at the one-year head horizon of 4.2%. So it looks like there was some short-term success there. Banking and financial stocks are continuing to be a highlight now in consideration as people did not expect them to be prior to this Fed meeting. But the closely watched Consumer Price Index is expected to show consumer prices cooling slightly maybe to get to that 6% mark, which would be down from January 6.4%. So another thing to keep on our radar to see what the Fed's actually going to do on the 22nd.
2: Well, I know that you will keep up to date on that, Tanner, and fill our listeners in as we find that out.
1: Yes, I will. I'll keep right on it. What else do you have for today?
2: Well, last week we saw the US House voted to undo the Biden administration definition of wetlands or WOTUS. The US House approved it 227 to 198. And we saw actually quite a few Democrats vote across party lines, which was a little shocking, but not completely, as a lot of those folks were agricultural located. But now this heads to the Senate, and a lot of analysts are suggesting that. Because it was enacted by Congressional Review Act, the Senate cannot reject it as it normally could. They simply have to take a vote on it, Tanner. And so a Senate vote is likely sometime going to be scheduled for the middle of this week. And it's going to be a close call here because, as we know, the Senate is fairly well split down party lines. And there's quite a few folks on both sides of the aisle that could go still either way. So if this is passed in the Senate, Biden would have to sign a rollback and the White House would not be able, I don't think, to veto this measure because it was a congressional review act. So we should expect to see kind of a final vote either way this week in the U.S. Senate.
1: Yeah, I was more confused when I was reading that article this morning. So I'm glad that you reported on it, but it does seem like it could get to a an actual decision or re- resolution by the end of this week the last piece i've got to show today is good news and news that is over a week ahead of schedule two is better than one is the heading for this article and that is at the upper mississippi river navigation is now opening early thanks to two barge toes breaking ice at the same time the us army corps of engineers states that lake Pepin is the last major barrier for vessels trying to reach the head of the navigational channel in St. Paul, Minnesota. And thanks to two shipments, they are on their way that way. Now, it's been a long day yesterday for the toes. Their progress was uh, positive by the end of the day, last night at 11, 15 PM, they were on the north end of the lake. Captain Tom Kegel and captain Neil deal, we're stating that they are in the clear now with no more ice to break up. Both toes will continue uh, down through that on their trip that began on March 12th. The two toes will arrive early compared to the average date in March, according to the, the St. Paul district. This year's first toe was about one week ahead of the average over the last 30 years. The average opening date for the navigational season has been March 20th. Last year, it was March 21st. The earliest date, Delaney, though, how long do you think, or how early do you think the first shipment has gone out each year?
2: Um, February, maybe?
1: Ah, you were close. March 4th, and that was in 1983 and again in 2000. So uh looks like that was really good. Historic flooding in 2001 delayed the first tow until May 11th. So, light years almost ahead of 2001. So, good news there to get some grain flowing back down to Mississippi.
2: It certainly is because we're going to need that as we continue to see the Argentinian drought take a toll on crop estimates. We continued to see drought across the week, first full week of March 2023. And if folks are saying, Weather Trends 360, I should say more specifically, said that. The first week of March was the hottest and driest first full week of March in 30 plus years, according to their data. Conversely, we're seeing too much rainfall across portions of central and southern Brazil, where it's extremely delaying the safrina, second corn crop. And Tanner, we're starting to get now into a window that's going to be outside the ideal planting window for farmers in Brazil, trying to get that safrina crop in the ground. So definitely a lot to watch there as we look at South America. And for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we're talking to FastLine about equipment trends and what they're seeing from their perspective. And for the month of February, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers released their report noting that combine sales of harvesters continued triple-digit growth while overall tractor sales fell in February, Tanner.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. There's so much technology involved in the ag equipment market, and it's interesting to see what he says and how that ties into the article you just reported on. But how do markets look today?
2: Markets in the overnight here still trended lower. May corn down three and a quarter cent in the overnight will open at 610 here this morning. Deese new crop corn down four pennies in the overnight at 553. May soybeans down just a three quarters of a cent in the overnight will open at 1490. No new crop soybeans will open at 1339 at the opening bell down just a quarter of a penny. Hard red May winter wheat down two and three quarters cents to open at 7.97 and three quarters. And as we look at livestock, a quick reminder of where they'll open up today. April live cattle will open at 163.55. April feeders at $1.9707. And April lean hogs will ring in at 86.22 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick over to that conversation with FastLine.
3: listeners, Dean Bark here. We are still Commodity Classic, hanging out, getting the latest from the most technologically advanced companies in agriculture. And here is another one having a conversation with FastLine today. Dean, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. Really excited to be here, Tanner. Why don't you introduce to the listeners who you are and uh, what your role is at FastLine? Absolutely. So, Dean Bark, I'm the president at FastLine Marketing Group. Been with the organization for about five years and just recently took the presidency role about six months ago. Nice. Oh. what did yeah, you do before that? I was a CFO at Fastline here, and then I moved into the uh, the C- chief operating officer about two years ago, and then just gradually kind of morphed into uh, the president role.
2: Dean, do you come from an ag background?
0: A little bit. You know, just been in the Kentucky area, so obviously, been you know around farming my whole life. Never actually farmed myself, but just have a lot of connections within the industry. Nothing better than working <laughs> with the farmers, though.
2: Absolutely. And you mentioned this is your first commodity classic, not your first ag show but what have you seen this week or heard from growers that has stuck out to you
0: i tell you what i mean i've been to lots of different shows but you nailed it. first commodity classic i mean just the quality of conversations here kind of a little bit more of an intimate type of a setting um, really enjoy it i mean completely different than the national farm machinery show or farm science or farm progress so i uh, really been, enjoyed my time thus far here in orlando So the fun part about having these conversations is getting to know what's under the hood within these companies. So tell us more about FastLine and what you guys do to uh, help the farmer. I'll tell you what, I mean, if anybody that knows FastLine knows of our print catalogs. We've been around the industry for about 45 years. Um, You know, really primary focus when we first started was just connecting those farmers with those equipment dealers. And uh, that was our bread and butter for about the first 35 years of our uh, existence there. You know, as time has kind of moved on, I mean, you know, the market's kind of shifting a little bit and we've, you know, been making sure that we're staying up with the times on the digital side of things. A lot more is moving to the digital marketing uh, component and aspect. Uh, And so that's where we've kind of shifted most of our focus as well still very proud of our catalogs Um, you know we reach you know over about 950,000 farmers a year yeah, we sent out about 3.8 uh, million catalogs. So still very proud of the print, uh, but we've also, like I said, innovated on the on the digital side of things. We've made probably 5 to $10 million of investments on the digital side over the last few years. And we have a full suite of digital products. Our, actually, our suite is uh, much larger than anybody else within our space. Um, so very proud of that uh, full digital agency. Uh, and then in addition to that, you know, we have a, a 400,000 uh, social media following as well. So uh, really, you know, kind of, we'll well-rounded ourselves and have a full complement of, um, of digital and print uh, marketing tactics for, for the dealers out there.
2: And so when Farmers are receiving these catalogs or seeing some of these digital options. What are they actually getting access to through Fastline?
0: Yeah, great question. So, I mean, you know, it's funny when you talk to the farmers at these shows, they absolutely love the catalogs. So, when they receive the catalogs, obviously they're seeing all the different types of equipment, makes, models out within their particular space. One of the uniques for Fastline is, you know, we've made sure that we've focused on catalogs in specific areas. So, you know, we don't do anything regionally, it's basically more state by state. Now, in some cases where there's not not as much uh, ag. You know, we'll do a regional catalog, but we have an Ohio catalog, we have an Indiana, in, Illinois, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're getting specific things within your re- region, or I'm sorry, within your state that uh, you know the, of, of the makes and models of equipment. Uh, and then in addition to that, you know, the other thing, you know, farmers are have we have a, a searchable database marketplace online where farmers can go search for equipment, uh, and that's where we have tons of sessions, tons of views on a, on a monthly basis. Okay. So if we've got somebody that has something to sell, what do they get from Fastline on that side of things? Yeah, so that's that's a fantastic question. So when you have something to sell, definitely look us up, right? So you're gonna we're gonna put you in connection with multiple, um, you know, basically about fifteen thousand farmers uh, per edition, right? So per edition, um, you know, whichever catalog that you go into, we're gonna send it out to about fifteen thousand farmers. And as you mentioned, Tanner, we're trying to be a little bit more technologically sound. I mean, we have the data to show that the farmers that we're reaching are in the market to purchase farm equipment. We have, you know, uh, data and intelligence that can show who's coming to our website. uh, And we are making sure that when we deploy our catalogs out, that we're reaching those farmers that are engaged. So definitely trying to stay up and up, you know, with the time. So, you know, it's, I can rest assured if you're an advertiser, you know, we're going to put you in touch with the farmers that are engaged and willing to buy, looking to buy.
2: Now, Dean, that's great to reach that many farmers, but it does oftentimes come down to brass tacks. What are farmers giving up as far as a commission fee or a percentage structure if they're listing and selling equipment through FastLine?
0: Yeah, so good question there. Most of most of the people that actually list in, with us are going to be more of the dealers. Uh, so, you know, we do some farmer classifieds, but, you know, very inexpensive. In some cases, we'll run specials many times throughout the year where it's free for farmers to kind of list with us. But mostly from the dealer's perspective, they're the ones that are going to be using some of their advertising dollars or co-op spend. I mean, there's there's so much co-op spend. I talked about four or five uh, dealers just yesterday that, I mean, it just goes unspent. And I think that that's probably the biggest play when you still consider print. Uh, You know, a lot of people, like I said, are moving more and more to the digital side of things, completely understand, easier to measure, uh, less costly. uh, But the print play is still relevant when you have the co-op dollars and would just talking with a really big dealer yesterday. Hopefully we'll be able to roll something out in the next couple of weeks about a huge co-op opportunity with them, a uh, national brand, well-known. But it's, it's it's one of those where those co-op dollars is still where print can be very relevant from a branding, uh, branding play with those dealers out there. Yeah, it's FastLine Marketing Group. It's mm-hmm. not just FastLine Equipment
3: Magazine. It's not just FastLine, yep. you know, as far as everything that you guys do to encompass a way to get – the product to
0: the buyer and everybody's happy. Correct. Absolutely. And that's the thing we I appreciate you saying that, Tanner, because that's what we want to be known as really. I mean, again, very proud of those catalogs. But I mean, there's so many digital tactics that we can do you know, to help support our dealers and the farmers. Uh, that's what we want to be known of known as. And that's what the message I'm really trying to get out when I kind of come together and do these type of things. Is. So as you guys have all these listings, obviously, you've got data that you can analyze. Yeah. How does the machinery market feel right now? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, going to some of these shows, talking to folks and looking at our data, things are starting to trend in the right direction. Right. I mean, it's been two or three years. We've all kind of lived through it from the covid timeline, you know, moving into supply chain issues and things like that. From what I'm seeing, you know, from an equipment standpoint, used equipment inventory levels definitely are starting to kind of move back into more of a normal type of a setting. New equipment inventory levels getting there right i still see some supply chain shortages i think you're going to see some of that through the end of 23 believe it or not just you know talking to some of the dealers here you know at the show concurring with that uh, as well. So I think you're going to probably be another six to nine months out on the new uh, equipment. But things are moving in the right directions. I see 23 as being a very strong year in the ag space, which is fantastic. You know, coming off record highs from a commodity standpoint in 22, I think things are going to drop a little bit obviously, and they're doing so now. Um, probably the only concern out there is, you know, obviously everybody sees it just is some of the inflation rates. Um, you know, a little bit concerning out there on any type of, um, you know, farm loans that could be existing with our farmers. But you know some of the good news to kind of combat some of that is the input costs are also dropping as well. So that's a little bit um, encouraging as well as we move into the, the rest of 23.
2: Yeah, I'm curious too, because I'm trying to think, it was maybe a year or two ago, and it seems like planters were the equipment that was hard to find. And you know, you look at the used equipment cycle of like three to five years, kind of when producers are transitioning and maybe looking at buying something new to them or new in general, where are we at as far as that goes are we seeing any specific piece of equipment that farmers need to be aware of it might be a little harder to source just because that is a hot item right now
0: almost like an endangered species yes,
2: exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> no good question I, I see probably the, the biggest area is uh is on the higher larger horsepower tractors still a little bit of a delay there from what I'm seeing uh and then also on the on the combine side of things there are some of the areas that we're seeing some of the, the still the, the challenges. And you have, like you said...
3: Seventeen different editions, seventeen different markets that you're working with. But where, where's your bread and butter?
0: Where's the the base of your your re, your business? Yeah, great question. So we have actually we have 19 catalogs, and we do 17 editions per year Ooh. on the print side of things. Um, our bread and butter probably is still on that eastern half of the country. So you know, if you go right down that uh, that that portion of the United States, so we've got a Southeast edition that's fantastic. We've got a Mid Atlantic edition that does really well. Northeast, you know, very. Uh, Amish Mennonite uh, population still really extremely value the print. Obviously, we're going to do well on our home base of Kentucky, Ohio. All of those particular areas is really our strong point. But we still pride ourselves on being nation, a national uh, publication. You know, okay. with, uh, you know, know with We have catalogs in, in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, right up through that Midwest corridor as well that we're trying to continue to beef up and yeah. make sure that we're supporting the farmers there too. Well, that's great. And there, you've got a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. Delaney, if you don't have any more questions, he should probably plug how people can keep up with what he's got going on. Oh, I love it. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, definitely check us out on Facebook, Fastline Marketing Group, Fastline. Uh, We also have an Instagram page. We also have Twitter, uh, TikTok, trying to be innovative so on all of those different things. So check us out on all of that. And then obviously check us out on our marketplace, Fastline.com. They they, they have a huge following out here, Delaney.
2: I know. I'm looking them up right now on Instagram. (laughs) Well,
0: give us a follow. Give us a like. Yes, absolutely. We have the largest social media following in our space, in our industry. And then definitely I would recommend dealers taking advantage of that whether it's through a promoted post or even uh, social media management. Happy to help in all those particular facets. Very good. Well, thanks for hanging out with us here at Commodity Classic. Really appreciate the time.
3: It'll be fun to continue to watch your company expand, grow. I guess both of those words mean the same thing.
0: Evolve <laughs> oh, yeah. and continue to push the industry forward. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate the time talking with you guys. Look forward to speaking with you again, maybe later on in the year. We've got some big things going in 23. Can't talk about them right now, but uh, would love to have the conversation with you a little bit later on in the year, uh, Tanner, Delaney. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you.
1: Well, there we go. That was a great conversation that we had down at Quantity Classic. Always fun to meet the presidents and CEOs of a company and especially get their perspective on the direction they're headed.
2: Absolutely. It was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with Dean there and excited to have more future conversations about some cool things that they've got rolling out uh, down the pipeline here soon.
1: Absolutely. Now, this was great, listeners. We've got more to bring you this week, so stick with us. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go?
2: Let's let them go.